Hello, this is Edie. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew first how much we appreciate you, and that in honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, right now at Heinemann.com, you can get 15% off and free shipping on all Heinemann professional books. This offer runs until May 11th. Head on over after the episode. Some restrictions apply. See the website for details. The Heinemann Podcast is a production of Heinemann Publishing. Heinemann is a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision makers and students as curious learners. We invite you to discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann is dedicated to teachers. I'm Brad from Heinemann. On today's podcast, Poems Are Teachers. Author Amy Ludwig Vanderwater says poems can do everything and allow us to become who we are. Amy says there is magic in poetry, and that magic translates into teaching. She says once we can get past the idea that poems are in their own little world, they open up a world of possibilities in the classroom. Her hope is we can infuse everything with poetry. Amy doesn't just wish this, though. She's written us a way to actually do it. In her latest book, Poems Are Teachers, How Studying Poetry Strengthens Writing in All Genres. Amy's energy about poetry is infectious, and that comes through in our conversation. Later on in our chat, Amy shares a few selections of poems from her book, but we started our conversation on how poems can open up learning. Well, one thing I have found for years and years and years is that no matter who the child is, no matter how old the child is, no matter how strong of a writer he or she perceives him or herself to be, they all love poetry. And sometimes they, as children don't have a chance to explore poetry or they only are writing acrostics or really, really funny poems or poems that follow a super, super specific form like I am, I am, I am, I am, I am. So what a poem can do is it can just open a door, I think, to, wow, I have some freedom here and I can write a about anything. You know, I could write about something I believe deeply or something that really happened to me, or I could explore my sort of silly side. And then once you're there, like once students are writing lots of poems, you say, you know, this thing you did in a poem, like you used repetition here, you could use that in your information piece too. Like you can bring the same techniques in little suitcase, you know, from one genre mm-hmm. to the other. And I think one of the things that is true in a lot of places in writing instruction is that we compartmentalize. Like we say, this is narrative and this is opinion and this is information and this is poetry, which we're going to ignore. Um, <laughs> and But really the things that writers do, the techniques that writers use, they do thread right through no mm-hmm. matter what genre um, they're writing. And so I think poetry is a way to introduce different techniques and then to see like, oh, how do poets do it? How do information writers do it? How do narrative writers do it? And all that. Why do poems sort of get misunderstood in school? I mean, how how can we bring them in in a way so that they're better understood and so that they're used more? That's a really interesting question. I think about this a lot because I think most people, people either feel like I love poetry, I completely, it's an important part of my life, or I'm 
sort of nervous about poetry. Like, I don't feel like I get it. Maybe I had an experience where I was forced to analyze and I didn't feel like I analyzed properly or I was reprimanded for not figuring out what the poet really meant. Mm -hmm. So there's that. But then there's also sort of a sense sometimes of, well, poetry has to be a certain format. So we have to give children a structure that it's almost like a closed passage. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll give you the first part of every line. And so sometimes I think people either feel nervous about poetry or sometimes people feel like poems have to be funny. Mm. So I love funny poems as much as the next person, but they're just one slice of the poetry pie. Mm. And so sometimes if if someone does have a perception that poems are supposed to be funny and they're supposed to crack kids up and that they maybe don't explore the whole range of human experience, which is what why I love poetry is because yeah. whoever you are in that moment, there's a poem to match it. I just had in the past two weeks, a little girl come up to me at a book festival who was so excited to come to the book festival. She was waiting at my table to hand me a poem she wrote about the book festival. A teacher who sent me a poem uh, because her husband's deploying to Iraq in two weeks with a repeated line saying, I am built for this. She had told me she's a struggling writer, and but she just wrote this poem mm-hmm. after this workshop. And then a friend who posted on Facebook a poem on her son's birthday, but her son had died several years ago of a heroin overdose. And poetry, so poems explore everything. You know, mm-hmm. we, you can go anywhere with mm-hmm. a poem, but I think if you think poems are just funny, then what happens is, and children think that poems are just funny, then maybe um, we wouldn't see them as useful tools for teaching writing. They're just sort mm-hmm. of like a cute extra. So sometimes poems sort of get that cute, like maybe administrators or some people might say, oh, we don't really, you know, we don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. There's not, poetry isn't in the common core standard. So like we can't, <laughs> or meanwhile, it's in every culture, maybe other than ours, mm. you know, a deeply held treasure. Yeah. How does poetry help students in terms of, you know, becoming better writers and especially in exploring other genres? Well, poems are short, right? So mostly, you you know, usually you can see a poem on one page, right? So you can just see there's the poem. It's right on one page. You can read it out loud in one sitting. Everybody can read it out loud together in chorus, whatnot. And then right that moment... You, it jumps off at you. There's a there's a simile here, mm. or wow, look at the way the poet began and ended the poem the same way, or whatnot. So so that's right in front of you. You don't have to flip thirty pages or read a novel or, <laughs> or you know a whole huge text. You can it's crystal clear. Like I think what poetry does sometimes. I don't know who said this, but it's it's just the most. It's like concentrated orange juice. You know, it's the it's the most crystallized genre. So mm. therefore, you have to in order to write poetry. You know, strong poetry. Mm. You have to be the best of all with words because you don't get many. So once, so because poems are short, you can look at them on one page, you can understand a technique easily. And then once you understand it, you can take it along to something else. So that's. And and that length, as you mentioned, that's very, it makes it more accessible too. And it's also really helpful because you can memorize a poem and not that, you know, everybody has to memorize a million poems, but through repeated readings, even if, even if you don't memorize the whole poem, certain lines stay inside of you and then those rhythms become a part of you and then they end up sort of, you know coming out in other places that where you don't even you don't even expect them to come walk through a little bit about how uh, some of the lessons are in the book describe some of the lessons in the book and then some of the accompanied poems with them sure so I've been teaching writing for 19 years so and I and I've been writing poetry for children for I don't know 15 or something so this is really the 
coming together of those. This is like the Venn diagram, little <laughs> slice, you know, where they come together, those two things. Because what I have noticed is that in my life, my prose is stronger because of my poem writing, right? Because mm. I have to use fewer words. So then I try to do the same thing. I try to write leaner. So because I've been teaching writing for a long time, we talk a lot about the qualities of strong writing. We talk about the ways that different people describe what makes strong writing. So writers have to do these same things across genre. We have to pick ideas. Mm. We have to organize our writing or structure it in a particular way. We have to use language within whatever structure it is, you know, little snips here or there, a descriptive language, you know, a metaphor, whatnot. And then we have to, um, we have to begin. We have to have a, you know, enticing beginning and an ending that makes the reader feel satisfied. And we have to title. So these are things that no matter what we're writing, we have to do all of those things. So there, therefore, this book is organized that way, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a chapter on finding ideas. And, there's a chapter. and then each each chapter has several explorations, I'm calling them, mm-hmm. that because you could teach them as they are, or mm-hmm. you could just take another poem and use it with or interpret it a different way. But so each lesson has several of these explorations that include a few of the same parts. One, a poem by a contemporary poet. Mm-hmm. So these are poets who are writing today for children. Some of the poems are brand new for this book. Some are already in other books. So, for example, Kwame Alexander's poem in this book, he was very generous to let us use a poem from the crossover. Um, so some of these poems teachers will know, be familiar with, students will, and some are not. Each of those poems by these contemporary poets stands on one page oh, wow. alone. Thank you, Heinemann, for doing that. So it stands on one page alone, so you can pass it out and children can have copy. Then after that, I asked each poet to describe whatever that technique is. So let's say the technique is writers can find ideas from looking at a piece of art, or a writer can um, a writer can um, write a poem using or any other genre using a structure from nature, like the seasons or colors of a rainbow. Or so then I asked each poet to describe, like, why would you do this, or how do you use this technique? How do you use art? to inspire you? How do you use repetition? How do you use simile? Like, can you tell a little about that? So there's a little italicized paragraph from each poet about their own, because one of the things that I learned from Katie Wood Ray, who edited this book, is that it's very important for children to understand their people behind mm-hmm. pieces of writing. So there's an author, there's a human being behind this poem, and that person is alive right now, and they can <laughs> tell you about it. So here's a little paragraph with that, that author, that poet, telling you how they really did it. So that, I think, is a really important piece. So there's that. And then there's a little bit about me talking about that technique and how you might use, you know, see Mm -hmm. it in other genres. Um, And then after that part, there there are two poems by students of varying uh, grades between first and eighth grade. Mm -hmm. So two student poems. So every single exploration in the book is set up exactly the same way. Poem by an adult, words from this poet, listen to Amy talk about it, and then two poems by students. So you could use this as a poetry unit, but mm-hmm. also I think what would be kind of cool if I were in the classroom again, would be to say, I'm going to choose one of these explorations each week of the school year or every other week or something and introduce students to this writing technique or this writing strategy through poetry. So here, learn this with this poem. Here it is. The poem's short. We can all do this right now. And then this week, let's, as we read other genres, as we read in our independent reading, as we read other things together, let's see what other how do other writers use the same yeah. the same technique, so that it, over the course of a year, then students and teachers and you know I learned all this myself just through writing would would say oh. 
gosh, yeah, I do see how this thing I learned in this poem, I see it over here and I yeah. see it over here. And it's not just in that little corner of poetry land, yeah. you know, it's every place. So do you want to hear a couple? Yes, okay. please. That'd be great. Okay, I'll read you a couple. So it's hard to pick. You can see I want to read you all of them, but I won't. Okay. So here, this is a poem. So one of the sections in the book that I failed to mention before is writers also choose a perspective and point of view when we write. So if I want to write a poem about my cat or a story about my cat, I write either about my cat in my own voice. I can write as my cat. I can write about someone else talking about my cat. You know, there are lots of ways in, you know. So this is a lesson about writing in the first person singular. This is a poem in first person singular, which is not the most important thing about it. The most important thing about it is it's a beautiful poem. It happens to Mm -hmm. also be in first person singular. (laughs) And that's important, I think, that we don't send a message to students that I'm reading you this poem because it's in the first person singular. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm reading you this poem because this is a really beautiful poem first. And then later, let's talk about this first person singular thing. But the other thing that's interesting is each of the poems uses a lot of interesting techniques. So we could pull many things to talk about in this poem, but we'll just do that. So this is Alma Florada, and this poem is actually in both English and in Spanish, but I'll just read you the English and um, because that's all I know. So the poem is called Bilingual. Because I speak Spanish, I can listen to Abuelita's tales and say familia, madre, amor. Because I speak English, I can learn from my teacher and say, I love school. Because I am bilingual, I can read books and libros. I have friends and amigos. I enjoy songs and canciones, games and juegos. And I have twice as much fun. And someday, because I speak two languages, I will be able to do twice as many things, help twice as many people, and do everything I do twice as well. And there's a lot, there's a lot there. There's so much going on in that poem. Right. There's so much. It's a beautiful it's poem. A beautiful and it's poem. beautiful in Spanish. And I wish that Alma was here and could read it in Spanish <laughs> for us. Um, it's important for children who do have two languages Absolutely. to have the opportunity to write in both. Yes. What, the more words you have, the more things you can express. Absolutely. So here's another. Let's see. Mm-hmm. I'll read a student one next. This one is a poem about... Ah, starting, um, we, uh, we always have to begin our writing. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes writers will begin a piece of writing with a, like a shocking or a startling line, just almost wake the reader up right at the get-go. So this is a poem by James, and he's fifth grader, and it is untitled. I listen as I hear the door tearing off our camp. A huge earthquake hits, and we are dumped into an enormous crater. We wait, all piled up, as a vanilla white liquid submerges us. We shout in joy as a silver rescue craft lifts us up into a big, dark cave. Crunch. A day in the life of a Cheerio. <laughs> I love his descriptions. Oh, yeah. He's hilarious. Like there, You don't know till the end that it's about a it's, Cheerio. I, yeah. I thought he was in an actual earthquake at the beginning there. That's incredible. I know. It kind of scares you. I listen yeah. as I hear the door tearing off our camp, right? That's, that's and that was inspired, um, this, um, you know, could be inspired, too, by this poem by Michael Rosen that starts, it's called Still Stuck on You. And his first line is, when I first fell, when first I fell for a banana slug, all my friends would say is, ugh. So different yeah. startle, but funny yeah. startle. Yeah. So here's another one. Here's Naomi Shabnai, who I just love. And <laughs> this is, um, she talks a little bit about titles. One of the things she says is sometimes a title 
can be part of a first line. So a title stands alone atop the poem mm-hmm. or whatever the text is, but then actually, instead of being repeated in the first line, carries right into the mm-hmm. first line. So this title is When I Open the Door, but I'll say the title again when I read you the poem okay. because it reads right into it. So this is Naomi Shiavnai. When I open the door, my mind welcomes me. Huge room. Calm down. Step inside. Inside feels so much cooler than out. Steaming 97 degrees. It's like a grocery store. Piled plums and peaches. This door opens by itself. Magic door with a secret eye on me. My memory seems long and curling. Shining ribbon on a reel. I feel lucky to live in a world of doors, downtown doors, doors on the bus folding open, smooth sliding doors on the train, creaky door at grandma's, doors of every minute and day. Who could be bored in a world of doors? Like grandma always says, it's up to you, baby, up to you. Turn the knob, the handle, the latch, the key. My notebook winks hopefully. What will you write this time? I love that one. Yeah. And this, so it just, so a student could just say, I'm going to pick something. Like you could even take that same one, right? Yeah. When I open the door right. and suddenly you're in a whole new world There's and so it brings you there. somewhere and you could do it every day and you could open a different door to somewhere else, <laughs> yeah. um, which is interesting. I'm going to read you one more. This is by a girl named Mercy and Mercy is fourth grader. Well, now she's a fifth grader, but she was a fourth grader. <laughs> and this is called Time Gone. Time Gone. And if you think about a book like your Carl's Hungry Caterpillar, you know how it goes like through the days of the week mm. or um, some books go through seasons, you know, the fall. And or I mentioned going through, um, you know, structures of, of time. You know, I could write something about when I was this age, when I was this age or whatnot. Memoirs, chapters of memoirs mm. are often like my high school years, my college years. So this is structured in that way. So this is really a structure thing and we can see how Mercy organizes her poem through times in her life. This is called Time Gone. When I was three, I met my grandmother. She's a shining blessing that made my three-year-old heart bloom. When I was seven, I visited her in Africa. She taught me how to have an African soul. When I was nine, she visited America. I taught her how to have an American soul. Now I'm 10 and she's dead. Her soul awaits for me in heaven. Oh, wow. Yeah, and a family treasure, too. That's the yeah, thing. Absolutely. You know, the poems aren't just, we're not just playing with techniques yeah. here. You know, this is who she is. This, yeah. You become more of who you are when you have opportunities to yeah. write poems about who you are. So. And again, it, it, to come back to that length, there's so much going on in that in just a small amount of space. Right. There's and just that's so the magic, I yeah. think. Once we can get past the idea that a poem is sort of in its own little world. Yeah. Then it opens up a whole world of possibility for how to how to bring poems and just infuse everything with poetry. My thanks to Amy for talking with me today. Amy and I had so much fun talking about her new book from Heinemann, Poems Are Teachers, How Studying Poetry Strengthens Writing in All Genres. If you'd like to read a sample chapter, a series of blogs from the book, or even connect with Amy, check out Heinemann.com. Also, be sure to follow Amy on Twitter at AmyLVPoemFarm, all one word. And be sure to visit her website, AmyLudwigVanderwater.com, where you can learn all about Amy's other new book, which is a children's book called Read, Read, Read. 
We'd love for you to subscribe to the Hindman Podcast on iTunes and Google Play, where you can also leave a comment or review. We're also now streaming on the Stitcher and TuneIn radio apps. You can follow along with Heinemann on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Plus, you can get a daily teacher tip right on your phone directly from Heinemann Authors, all by downloading the Heinemann Teacher Tip app. All this and more on Heinemann.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.